Welcome listeners to the latest edition of the Premium Investment Leaders Podcast. I'm Damien Chilney, Head of Investment Managers and Governance at Premium, one of Australia's leading specialist SMA platforms. Today I'm joined by Nick Griffin, Chief Investment Officer of Munro Partners, a Melbourne-based asset manager founded in 2016 and now manage over $1.3 billion. Nick, welcome to the program. Thanks, Damien. Nick, uh, you've been looking into returns for US equities over quite an extended period of time and noticed that much of the overall market return has been generated by only a few names. Can you tell us more about this research? Yeah, so, so thanks, Damien. Thanks for having us on, on, the, uh, on the podcast. I mean, look, I think what a lot of people miss about equity markets versus other asset classes is it's not a mean reverting asset class. So, so a stock can go up a 1,000% in equities, whereas it's very rare that a bond does that or a currency does that or, or anything does that. And so the, the issue with equities is it's, it's generally a game of very few winners and lots of losers, and, and the index just takes account of that over time. So you hear lots of these stories about how the index changes or how the top 10 changed over the last 10 years, et cetera, et cetera. Look, the stats are fairly simple. Um, half the S&P disappears every 20 years. Uh, it used to be every 40 years, and that 20 years is coming down over time. Um, the second thing that we'd flag is that most companies that come to market actually go to zero. So, so if you do the analysis, you expand it beyond the S&P, you do the analysis and look at just the US market or even the global market. In the last 90 years, there's been 25,000 companies listed in the US. Um, 14,000 of them went to zero. Wow. Um, the other 8,000 only made enough money to offset what the other 14,000 lost. And you actually end up with just 1,000 companies, so less than 4% of all statistical observations that generate the entire 40 trillion of wealth of the US wow. stock market over the last 90 years. Yeah. And then if you just take the top 50 of that as 1,000 companies, they make up 40% of that 40 trillion. So 50 companies make up 40% of the total return of the entire market out of 25,000. That's what the stats say. That's what the statistics say. And so your job as an equity investor is not really to predict the economy. And I mean, yes, it helps, but it's not really to predict where macroeconomics is going or where our oil price is going. Your, your job is to find these very few winners, because if you do that, you'll make more money. And, and so the last example I'll give you here is um, even if you just look at the Australian market, if you just got CSL right, oh. if you just understood blood plasma would grow because of the testing that was required, or you just got Macquarie right because you knew that infrastructure would be important, then everything else was a waste of time. Mm. All the time you spent looking at the RBA, all the time you spent looking at elections, <laughs> all the time you spent looking at economic, it was a waste of time. You just had to get that right. And so that's sort of what we try to focus on at Munro. Yeah, and we've seen that very much in Australia over the last 12 months. It's been a very narrow market. Only yep. a couple of companies really contributed out of that. And so... Uh, with, with your research, so do you see that kind of thematic continue to extend? And so, you know, will we see with uh, some of the material you put out about structural growth, is that, so you see that continuing into the future, the narrowness out of it and what you're focusing yeah, on? Yeah, so I'd argue, I mean, I know people look at the narrowness more so these days, and it is worse now than it used to be, and there's reasons for that, but it's always actually been this way. Yeah. Um, the, the, so, so from our point of view, so then take that back. So what's our job? Our job is not to predict where the US economy is going. Our job is to predict what are the big structural changes that are going to get to cause these few winners. Um, and so we always focus on structural changes, not, not macroeconomic changes, because that's how we're going to find these few winners. If we find these few winners, we'll give our clients the returns. Uh, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Um, the, important, the other thing that's important is you have to have really good risk controls. 
because if, if you know it's a game of very few winners and lots of losers, then by definition, you're going to pick losers. Okay? Yeah. That's inevitable. Yep. Everybody listening to this podcast has a stock that fell 90%. This I guarantee it. <laughs> it's currently sitting in your bottom drawer and you don't know what to do about it. Um, the point is, it seemed like a good idea at the time, and, but you need, to, you need to have great risk controls to deal with that. On top of that, we've all found a stock that doubled. And then we probably sold it and then it went on to double and double yes. and double and double again. Yeah. And so these are the simple maths that you need to play when you're looking at equities. Stocks can go up a thousand percent, yet they can only fall a hundred. Yep. Yet more fall a hundred <laughs> than go up a thousand. So you need to get that maths to work in your favour. So really good risk controls at the bottom and really good long-term analysis at the top. Uh, and so from our point of view, that's really focusing on structural trends. Yeah. And so when we look at those, we want to find these, these few winners over a very long period of time. And so that's why we spend all our time doing it. Yeah, okay. And so I suppose what, one of the mechanisms that you can utilise in risk control is probably uh, running a couple of different themes. So you've kind of got 10 major themes you're looking yeah, at so, at the moment. So from our point of view, our process is built around finding these big structural trends. Um, and at the moment, we actually have 21 that we're, we're tracking. Um, but, but they're only invested in 10. Yep. Um, and yeah, so, so, so the obvious one in the last 10 years is digitalisation. So, so everyone would, anyone listening to this podcast would be familiar with how as the internet improves, more and more things have gone digital. Starting with, you know, your this yellow... This podcast. Yeah, starting with fact. this podcast, correct. <laughs> starting with your yellow pages disappeared yeah. to a search engine called Google, which now killed every yellow pages on the planet. Then it killed every map company on the planet. Uh, and all of that w- it went to them. And as digitalization got better, you know, it ended up getting on your mobile phone. And so that created Apple, which is another trillion dollars. Uh, on that phone, you were able to send pictures to each other really easily. Do you remember trying to send your first picture on a mobile well, phone? Yes. Um, yeah. so it was. Well, as the digitalization got better, that happened. That creates Facebook. And now we're at the point where we have cloud computing and software. So we have software as a service. And, and as, as you said, this podcast, we're able to access our clients directly. And so all of that's a function of digitalization. So that's a great structural trend to invest in. And we look at that's one of them. Uh, but we also have others that cover um, things like wealth effects, things like the emerging consumers, things like a food and beverage revolution, uh, things like climate change. Um, because these are all the big structural trends of our lifetime. Um, and if we can find those few winners within that, we're a chance of solving that problem that we discussed at the start. Yeah, and so I think uh, digital is probably been one that's been very well covered, and I think you yep. are very well explained uh, by. Let's go on to to one uh, probably a different one that uh, a lot of people haven't focused on a lot, which is food revolution. I think yep. it's a really interesting one, and in Australia we've probably seen hints of it um, with companies like A2 Milk and Bellamy's, where there's interest in premium food supply, uh, which is very valuable to. Consumers around the world. So, well, what kind of trends are you seeing in this space here? Yeah. So, the simple analogy to think about here is: is your standard consumer um, generally is more thoughtful about their their appearance, uh, more thoughtful about how long they're going to live, and is probably thinking a bit more about you know what they eat experientially, mm. they what they enjoy doing, if that makes sense. And so, all of these things lead towards a premiumization of food. Um, even bad food. So just start with chocolate, right? So if you think about chocolate, people are prepared to pay a premium for better and better chocolate because that's how they do it. Or think about um, spirits where you pay for a higher premium for, for a premium drink. Um, and so that, that's a trend that's going through the marketplace. Um, it's, it's really going through the whole world and it's slowly permeating emerging consumers. Um, and so within that, there are going to be winners. Um, and we just tried to separate a basket of companies that we think could win from that. Uh, it starts with ingredients companies who are sort of the weapons manufacturers in the war here. So they're the guys yeah. who are, you know, who have access to vanilla essence, right? It's hard to get access to mm. citrus, vanilla essence, 
nutmeg, all these things that are required um, to create organic products. So oh, that, like the De Beers of the food market correct, in a way. Yeah, yeah correct. Yeah, or, yeah. The, uh, or the, um, yeah, so those, those, those are the ingredients companies. And yeah. to be fair, a lot of them are listed in far-flung places like Ireland, Switzerland, uh, the US, uh, Germany are the main ones in the world. And then you move down to what you talked about, A2 Milk. So then you've got some innovative brands um, that are basically pushing an angle. So in A2's case, this is a classic example where all of us go buy A2 milk, we pay a premium for it, but none of us are actually still 100% sure what the health benefits are. I still don't actually know, um, but, um, but we do pay for it. Yep. Uh, so A2 would be a good brand here. We could also point to companies like Fever Tree Tonic Water, for those who've had an organic tonic water lately. Um, things like Beyond Meat, which are non-soy-based meat products. So they're good brands, but ultimately they're in a much more competitive space. So be, you need what's, the, what's their moats. Uh, the last place you'd look actually is in the kitchen, right? So the kitchen becomes the heart of the home. And so, you know, things like coffee, coffee machine makers, DeLonghi, Breville, um, saucepan manufacturers, would you believe it? Yep. Uh, and then, uh, and as I also said earlier, the premium drinks companies uh, are a very big place to invest for us. And so that's, that's where most of our investments are today is in the premium drinks and the ingredients side of this one. But that's how we built the universe. Yep. Okay. And I can very much see that on premium drinks. It's uh, just a lot of interest all around the world on those brands and they continue to do well. Yeah. So the last thing I'd say about premium drinks, someone actually asked me a really good question the other day, you know, and this comes back to my point about what I said at the start is um, people can get really hung up about US elections or impeachment <laughs> or, uh, you know, Italy's going to go broke, et cetera, et cetera. I'm going to tell you something that I think I'm pretty sure of. I'm pretty sure no matter what happens, next year, the year after, the year after, we're all still going to be drinking. Yeah. Because I know most people like having be. a drink. Yeah, probably. <laughs> and, and I also know even if we drink less, we'll drink a more premium drink. Yeah. Um, and so, and then I look at a company like Pernod Ricard in France, it's family run, 40 billion market cap, 3.5% dividend yield, 21 times forward earnings, growing organically at sort of 6% and it's bottom line debt 10. Yeah. And I don't think anything's going to change that. Um, and so the important thing to remember is to find those businesses and to invest in them and just not get too hung up about this other stuff because I don't think that's going to change in the medium to long term. Yeah, compounding growth works, doesn't it? Correct. Um, plant-based diets, uh, you yeah. kind of touched on that a, a little bit um, because we see it a lot more on, on TV, just even yep. uh, we see some of the, uh, the burger uh, places yep. uh, offering things in uh, that kind of space. So it seems to be a lot more out there, a lot more people are talking about it. So, so what trends are you seeing in food production for, for that consumer group in particular? Yeah, so Damien, we haven't quite solved this one yet. We've looked at it. Um, and so we did own Beyond Meat for a little while, but it got massively overvalued and we sold it. Um, the problem is, is um, and the food one is generally a little bit harder than the digitalization one because it gets very competitive. Yep. But at the moment, obviously, we see a lot of plant-based burgers coming to market. So there's Beyond Meat, Impossible Burger. Um, I think I've seen Rebel Burger here in Australia. They're all effectively a soybean crushed up into a burger. They actually taste pretty good. Uh, but I don't see any clear winners there. Mm. So again, just let's, let's play this from the ingredients companies. That's yep. probably the best way to look at it. Um, the other thing that um, obviously plant-based diets do... Well, sorry, the, the other thing that we are looking at is, is, is there is this situation where some of these ingredients, you're not going to believe this, but some of these ingredients companies 
the byproducts can actually be used to put into a refinery to power fuel, to power wow. diesel. <laughs> okay. uh, yeah. And so that's what renewable diesel is and some of these other things. So yeah. that's sort of a side effect for some of these feed companies. So yeah. we haven't actually 100% solved our A2 milk of plant-based burgers yet. We know there's some good players out there, but they're all very expensive. Yeah. Uh, and at the moment, we prefer to pay the weapons manufacturers in the wall. So that's companies like Kerry in Ireland, as I said, or... or um, or IFF in the US or Sunrise in Germany, where you, you have to pay a lower multiple and they sort of win no matter what. Yeah, okay, interesting. Somewhat uh, tangential to, uh, to that piece is around, uh, I suppose, packaging in yep. particular. And there's a lot of consumer expectation about single-use pla plastics. and There's even a, a lot more regulation these days uh, going on with that. So how do you see the interaction of uh, all of this? Yeah, so packaging's been a reasonable area for the fund for a, for a long time. Um, and we've sort of been in and out of stocks over a long period of time, but done quite well out of it. Um, the key areas to get your head around here is, is what's going to happen to glass, plastic and cans. Mm. And so obviously there's a shift to glass, which is premium, plays into premiumisation. There's a shift to beverage cans also, away from plastic. Um, but then there's also a shift to cardboard in terms of packaging. So there are some companies um, that we can mention, companies like Hutamaki in Finland is one of the largest makers of, of uh, reusable cardboard. They, they basically serve as Starbucks... Uh, McDonald's, Burger King, etc. So all of these companies are having to rethink the way they go to market with their products and the way that mm -hmm. they do their packaging. Uh, that's a great opportunity for Hudamaki. Um, Ball Corp in the US is a, the world's largest can manufacturer. Um, they're, th they're talking about aluminium cans at, sta at baseball stadiums to get rid of the plastic bottle type okay. situation, etc. Yep. All of these things are going to happen. None of these stocks are particularly expensive. And so like Pernod Ricard, you know, are good compounding investments over a long period of time. And and I just think, yeah, I think people need to accept that we need to, I mean, I'm not sure we're going to talk about this, but accept that um, the imprint that we put on the planet is going to have to go down. Yeah. That's inevitable. That's going to cost more. Uh, and all we're trying to do is find who wins from the fact that that costs more. And, and it just is. Yeah. And uh, on that note, uh, moving on to our climate change, that's probably one of the other themes that you started uh, yep. working on. Um, it's, I mean, we all know it's been an emerging investment theme for more than a decade. You yep, know, people have uh, been uh, very interested either in uh, green power, whether renewables and so forth. But, um, you know, there's been quite a period where it hasn't made a lot of money. It's required a lot of government support. Is that tide turning now? Is it uh, more investable? Is it more mainstream? Is it more uh, sustainable in its own right, to kind of coin a phrase? Yeah, yeah. And, and thanks, Damien. I mean, I think that's exactly what we're saying. So I agree. Over the last... So we've been looking... We've had a climate change area of interest or theme for nearly 14 years now. Yeah. Um, and it was incredibly successful for us in 2004, 5, 6 and 7. Um, we, made, we made really good money out of some of these stocks, really wind turbine manufacturers and solar companies. Um, but a lot of people remember we had this thing called the financial crisis. Yes. And uh, the financial crisis meant we couldn't afford to save the planet anymore. Uh, and since then, you've seen effectively this rollback of subsidies all around the world. Um, while that rollback of subsidies has been happening is the technology has been getting better, mainly for the same reasons why digitalization is getting better, because Moore's law is improving, and, and, and so the cost of renewable power is getting much closer to non-renewable power. What we're saying in 2020 is we think the tide has shifted to the point where this becomes mainstream. And the reason why we're saying that is because the companies themselves are basically dealing with it themselves. So they're not being forced to do it by a government or by some emissions trading scheme. Yeah. They're basically making their own decision to go carbon neutral. And they're doing that because they think their consumers care. Uh, and so I'm not talking about small companies here. I'm talking about Walmart. 
Mm. I'm talking about Vodafone. I'm talking about Google. I'm talking about Salesforce. I'm mm. talking about Starbucks. Qantas as well. There was another one. Yeah, I'm that's about come BH, up recently. I'm yeah. talking about BHP. Yeah. All choosing to go carbon neutral either between 2030, 2040 or 2050. Mm. Um, this, like that packaging issue, is going to cost a lot of money. In fact, it's going to cost trillions of dollars. Um, and so there's going to be some big winners here. And so for us, it all starts with renewable power um, because there's no point having an electric car if it's powered by a coal-fired power plant. I think someone put that out <laughs> a, you know, a few years ago. If you were driving a Tesla in Victoria, you're probably doing more damage to the economy you could be than doing not. more damage. Yeah. And so we're going to get better yeah. at this. People yeah. are going to, you know, the, you know when, when Starbucks says they're going to be carbon neutral by 2030, they're going to take it seriously. Yeah. Uh, and they're going to make sure that they're doing it properly. Um, so the big winners we have here are, are really renewable power developers. Um, so there's, again, you've got to go to Europe. So you're looking at companies like Orsted in Denmark, uh, Vestas in Denmark, um, Siemens Gamesa in Spain. These are the big either turbine manufacturers or developers of, of, of renewable power. Those, those companies look, look well placed here. Um, the other areas that we'd be looking at would be in transportation. So obviously Tesla's very well placed here, but valuation is a bit of an issue at the moment, but it is undeniably well-placed. Um, but I think it's more easier to play the weapons manufacturer than the war here, so all cars go electric over time. Mm. Uh, and there we're, we own a company called Infineon in Germany, which essentially makes a power semiconductor without getting into massive details, but okay. every battery to power conversion requires a power semi. Um, so whether it's the scooter that's running you down on the road... Yes. <laughs> um, or the, uh, or the Uber driver who's dropping off your food. All of those things have an Infineon semiconductor in it. Uh, so that's how we've covered transport. Um, and then ultimately we talked about packaging. The last area is really buildings. So there's a good, really, really good opportunity around insulation um, and, um, and better lighting, better light and air in buildings. And so, so there it's actually another company in Europe called Kingspan in Ireland are the ones that we are focused on today. Uh, but there we will find others. Um, mm. The key is to go look. Um, and I think the important thing to remember is, so let's take this right back to what we talked about at the start. Um, you know, that digitalization structural change has been occurring for about 10, 12 years now. And I think most people are across this now, right? Mm. So when we were walking into people's offices in 2013 saying we thought Facebook was an amazing buy, people were throwing us out, right? <laughs> and the same people would throw us out in 2014 when we said Amazon was an amazing buy, right? Everyone's across this now. People yep. get this. Uh, it doesn't mean these stocks aren't good buyers. They are. But our job is to find something that's back at the start, if that makes sense. And I yep. think we really are at the start. And so I've given you some ideas here that I think are at the start. Yep. They might not be the big winners in the long run. Mm. Um, we, we're hopeful that they are, but our risk controls will take care of them. But over the journey, we're going to find them because we know they're there. And the reason why we know they're there because this structural change has literally just started. Yep. Um, electric cars are less than 2% of the fleet. Yeah. Okay, it is inevitable they go to more than 50% of the fleet. Mm -hmm. uh, the car market is a $4 trillion per annum industry. Yeah. So just think about the, the, sh the shift that's going to occur and who's going to get it. And, yeah. that's, and that's what we're trying to work on. Mm. I saw some stats recently. I think Norway's up to 57% of new car sales are uh, all EV. So there are some uh, markets that can be looked at anyway out of that. It is. Uh, no, so you make a good point. So the Nordics are actually very helpful here So because they're, they're just for... Lots well, they've of, got money to, to got, uh, no, spend it's, at it it's as It's not well, just so, Norway, though. Yeah. Even Denmark, though, yeah. is 100% renewable. Mm. Um, you know, it's no coincidence that the, our biodiesel investments in Finland, our packaging investment is in Finland. Um, 
Sweden's the first country to go 100% digital cash. Yeah. They're close wow. to banning cash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, these countries have been taking this very seriously for a long period of time. Maybe it's because they're close to a melting polar ice cap. Uh, <laughs> but, but they get it. They've got it. They've got it for a very long time. Yeah. Uh, and so, yes, you're right. They've got it for a long time. And as the rest of the world gets it, that's where some of our best investments are. At the yeah, moment. cool, cool. And uh, just touching on your point before, trying to avoid... Uh, thematics that are supported by government because they're always a little bit, you know, questionable about uh, whether they'll persist. And you kind of touched on um, companies that are doing this, uh, so dealing with climate change of their own right, and so Qantas came out not long ago and saying they were going to go carbon neutral. How do you see Qantas dealing in that uh, objective? Yeah, okay, so the first thing they do is they start blending their fuel with biodiesel. Um, So there's a couple of airlines doing this already, Um, and it's no different to uh, people who travel in Europe or travel in the US will see blended ethanol fuel. Um, So you can't blend ethanol into a jet plane because it won't fly. Uh, but you can project biodiesel. So that actually comes back to my point before about these biodiesel refiners who yeah. who are effectively using used animal fat, I'm afraid, <laughs> um, to run a diesel refinery. Uh, and so in Finland, it's, it's interesting. Like They collect all the turkeys mm. from Christmas and go <laughs> stuff them into the refinery, <laughs> and out comes jet fuel. It's true. Yeah. They really are doing this. Um, so the first thing they'll do is they'll blend the fuel. Mm. Um, the second thing they'll do is they'll buy more planes. So the 737 MAX, for all its problems, the reason why it exists is to be a lower fuel plane. So it's yeah. a big beneficiary to Airbus and Boeing. Um, and they're both investments in the fund today. Um, and so that's the second thing to do. And the third thing they'll do is they'll buy some offsets. So they'll literally go and either buy offsets off a seller or they'll literally go build some sort of renewable capacity somewhere that they think offsets what they're doing. Yeah. Uh, but that's how they'll do it. Yeah. Um, and by the way, and so that's what they're choosing to do. Yes. By law, yeah. by law, they actually are not allowed to increase their carbon footprint anymore from 2021 onwards. Right. Under the, I think it's Corsair rules that are basically governing global aviation. Yeah. Okay. Um, so that's what they're going to have to do. So for us, the, the investment we have... What that we have here is Neste in Finland, which is the refinery that's creating this biodiesel fuel. Yeah. Um, it's a good idea. I think it's going to work in the next three years, definitely. Whether it works over th- beyond that, um, it's, it's, it's harder because there'll be new capacity comes along. Um, but at the moment, they've got the lead, which yeah. means they'll win. Excellent. That was uh, fantastic, Nick. Really appreciate that. We covered a lot of ground there. <laughs> but um, I really appreciate your ideas on structural growth and uh, what some of the major themes are. So thank you for joining us today. Cheers, Damien. Thanks for having me. Thanks.